podcasters. Assemble! Hey everyone, this is Becky, Troy's wife. This is Troidal Power from the Power Playthroughs podcast. Hey guys, it's Jason from the Drinkopedia podcast. Hi, this is Arjuna Gonzalez from Thoughts from the Level Editor. Hey everyone, it's Rob here, your friendly neighborhood comic geek. My name's Bill, and I'm from the RPG Golden Years podcast. And this is... Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1. Guardians of the Galaxy. The Guardians of the Galaxy. Guardians of the Galaxy. The Guardians of the Galaxy. Guardians of the Galaxy. I really liked the first wave of Marvel movies as they were coming out, but it wasn't until Avengers that I really got sucked into the MCU. I think I had seen Iron Man's 1 and 2, um, Incredible Hulk, and maybe Thor? I don't think I saw Captain America before I saw Avengers. But once Avengers hit, I was full on into the MCU. And then when I heard about Guardians of the Galaxy, I was immediately stoked. The first thing I heard about it was the soundtrack. And the soundtrack sounded absolutely incredible. And it is. It's a great soundtrack. It's a soundtrack I still put on from time to time. This is by far my favorite movie in the series of movies that we're watching right now. This is my favorite, um, mostly because it has the best soundtrack. All of the songs are amazing and it gets me really hyped up and it makes me happy. But what I didn't expect was a movie that would bring together a team of the most bizarre characters and somehow make me like really emotionally care about each and every one of them. You know, there are a lot of minor injustices in this world, and one of them is the fact that we will probably never see a Marvel Cinematic Universe movie directed by one of the Monty Python guys. But at least we have Guardians of the Galaxy. This was a very unprecedented, unexpected film. As a comic book fan, when people talked about what other characters might be pulled for an MCU movie, the Guardians of the Galaxy was not one I would have expected. It was a team from like the 80s that had all these weird characters and a dude in the future that had Captain America's shield and you didn't know what was going on. But then you found out they were actually taking from the um, Andy... Oh, I'm going to get it wrong now. It, they, they call themselves DNA. So it's Dan Abnett and Andy Lanning, I believe are the team who wrote, they were basically given control of the Marvel cosmic universe while a civil war was happening. And so it's like, you guys do whatever you want with the cosmic characters because we don't want them involved in the civil war storyline. And so they did these massive, like three giant space wars. Uh, well, granted, it started with Keith Geffen. I should take that back. It started with Keith Geffen doing um, uh, Annihilation. And then we got into Annihilation Conquest and like Realm of Kings and War of Kings and all of these big space things. But one of the big things that came out of it was this new Guardians of the Galaxy book. This movie in general was just amazing. Guardians of the Galaxy is uh, a film I would recommend to anyone. 
at the time going in to watch the film. I didn't actually have high hopes. I kind of sort of, you know, felt like the Marvel movies were all getting a bit samey at the time. And then just sat down to watch this film thinking, oh, you know, it'll just be, it'll be a nice Marvel film. It'll be a nice, like, easy romp for a Saturday afternoon to watch. And yeah, it just blew me away. Guardians of the Galaxy, this movie came out of effing nowhere. Let me tell you right now. Uh, I remember reading some of the Guardians comics and I remember when this movie was announced and I was like, really guys, you're going to do your B-level Star Wars section of your comics? What? Why? What, to, to what To what avail are we doing here? What I was not expecting was for James Gunn to come out with an ensemble film. We have like, unlike Avengers, Guardians, we had no backdrop to any of these characters. To make an ensemble film with such with such mm, with such flavor, just a oh, with a touch of its own life and and energy to it, and its own style and its own aesthetic, to just breathe life into this really weird entity, and honestly, it took. Right at the start of the movie, Peter Quill establishes himself as a hero when he's just a little boy. He goes in to see his dying mother and he's got a black eye, he's all beat up. And she asks him, you know, why are you fighting with those kids again? And he says, they killed a little frog, but ain't done nothing wrong. Squished him with a stick. And I'm, I'm getting choked up just thinking about that moment. Little Peter Quill, he's so sweet. He, he saw somebody attacking something defenseless and he had to step in and do something about it. He had to step in to show them that it was wrong. And it's just, it's a really sweet moment. I had a thought watching it this time that's never occurred to me before, which is, man, what a bad day is Peter's grandpa having? Like, his daughter dies, which is, oh my god, just horrible. And one of the last things she said was that she told Peter that, she said, your granddad's going to take real good care of you. And he, as his daughter's heart stopped, told Peter to wait out in the hallway, and then he never saw Peter Quill again. Oh my gosh, that poor man. Yeah, so they take the core of sort of that that uh, comic book team of, of Star-Lord and Rocket Raccoon and Gamera or Gamora, however they like to pronounce it, and bring them together. And, it, you know, they knew they needed somebody at the front, and so they threw Chris Pratt at it. Star-Lord has landed on Morag, and he's walking through the ruins to get to the orb, and he pulls out his Walkman and starts playing Come and Get Your Love. And he just starts dancing around the planet <laughs> like an absolute lunatic. I really feel like if I, if I was on my own on a deserted planet uh, listening to that sort of music, that's exactly what I'd do. I'd dance around, kick a few space rats about, and be like, yeah, I'm the man. I'm the man. And it's just like, I just loved it. That whole thing just got me so excited for the whole film. It really set it up perfectly. And he's just dancing his way through here, and he, like, picks up a little lizard creature and uses it as a mic. And it's just a great introduction to the movie. It's like, hey, welcome to our two hours of absurdist superhero action. Oh, I love it. And I think that was a really, really smart choice. It was weird to see him ripped, for those of us that knew him from Parks and Rec. But I think he fit the role very well of this really snarky guy. And then they added on top the whole 80s thing where he, you know, left the Earth in the 80s. And so that's sort of the culture he's obsessed with, which is not a part of the character normally. 
normally he was from Earth and then he's out in space and he's like actually in prison when they pick him up and he has a uh, robotic eye. Like there's a dude uh, in the prison that has sort of a, the robotic eye thing. Uh, those implants were actually Star-Lords in the comic for a short period of time before he has them removed and they redesign his costume and all this stuff. My favorite line of dialogue, I mean, every single line out of Rocket Raccoon's mouth, almost. He's he's the not-quite-Tony-Stark character in this movie. He, like, has all these witty little quips that you remember. Um, I could totally see him, like, driving Pepper Potts up the wall on the board of directors of Stark Industries. One line that stands out is near the beginning of the movie on Xandar, where he says, Look at this guy. You believe they call us criminals when he's assaulting us with that haircut? And then there's, um... Um, Rocket and Groot are standing, um, and standing around making fun of people. Um, there, people are, you know, walking around and the Rocket's making comments about people. Um, and he scans over to Stanley, standing with a woman on a bridge, and Rocket says, Look at Mr. Smiles over here. Where's your wife, old man? What a class A prevert. Groot is great in this movie. I, I love pretty much every moment with Groot, but my favorite might be that very, very first one where uh, Rocket's looking around at all the Xandarians and Groot's drinking water from a fountain and Rocket's like, don't drink water, it's disgusting. And and Groot kind of looks up at him and shrugs and he goes, yes, you were, I saw you. Why are you lying? And then just a moment later, Groot's back at it. He's back drinking from the water fountain. He is the Tony Stark of this movie, except furry, and yeah, just as much of a badass. The Nova Corps, I get. It's a little sad we didn't get more into them, but that's also okay, because I don't think we would have really had the time to do that. I thought having John C. Riley there was a little weird. Uh, because, again, it felt like they were going to try and use him for comedy. Like, I love him as an actor. I think he can do everything. Like, he can do drama. He can do comedy. But he sort of sat on, on the edge there. And having Glenn Close as Nova Prime was also sort of weird. Glenn Close is in this movie um, playing Nova Prime, playing, like, the leader of, if not all of Xandar, at least the Xandarian military. And she's really good. She's only in a couple scenes, but she's really good. I'm hoping Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 has some more background on the Kree, because I've seen Captain Marvel, so I know a little bit about them from that, but now having watched this movie, like, there's that scene where the head of the Nova Corps is talking to the Kree leader about Ronan the Accuser. Glenn Close calls someone a prick. She's talking to a representative of the Cree, and he's a jerk, he's a prick. And she says, prick. Glenn Close says prick. And the Cree guy is blue. He's blue, and Ronan the Accuser is blue, and Nebula is blue, and everything is blue for him and himself, and everybody around, he has some people to listen to, but like, is there a reason the Cree in Guardians of the Galaxy are in canon with the Eiffel 65 tune and not in Captain Marvel? So this movie, uh, I think if you've been listening thus far, it's got a shit villain. I think the MCU is pretty, pretty uh, into that idea of just having really poopy villains. But this movie does bring our first, our first glimpse of josh brolin as thanos and he's an imposing figure this is the first time we've seen him since avengers one 
He's there for more than two seconds, and he's not smiling at all. He's ginormous. He's in his weird throne that I guess he just sits on all day. But within the few seconds that he's on screen, he establishes that he is not a person to be messing around with. He's he's establishing that if the Avengers went toe-to-toe with him, they'd probably get wrecked. And we'll see later in Infinity War, they do absolutely get wrecked. And we get that sense within a couple of seconds of Josh Brolin. That's fantastic. That's amazing. Um, so I was really happy because I loved that sort of Marvel Cosmic. I'm a big Marvel Cosmic guy. So I like that they dove into it. I thought it was very interesting to make Ronan the Accuser the bad guy and very weird to make him work for Thanos. But the benefit of taking characters like this that few people know about is you can really you know, stretch things, twist things, you know, do new takes on things. And nobody's going to be like, hey, Ronan the Accuser doesn't work for Thanos because it's a character that not a ton of people know about. The idea of making him sort of a religious fanatic was really interesting because he always kind of was in the comics, but it was very different. He was basically um, kind of a Judge Dredd type of character where in Cree culture they had these... um, Uh, these accusers who served as judge, jury, and executioner that would go out and help control the empire. And he was just one of the lead ones. But the comics do all these crazy things where he ends up leading the whole Kree empire. And there's so much interesting stuff that goes on there. When they're getting taken into the prison, uh, Peter Quill sees one of the guards listening uh, listening to his headset and he gets real ticked off about it. And he's like, you put that down, That give that back. That's my property, it should be an impound. And then he yells, hooked on a feeling, Blue Sweet, 1973. That song belongs to me. And then he gets tased. The breakout scene from the prison is one of the coolest action scenes to me in uh, in the Marvel movies because it's it's another heist scene. I talked about this in Thor: The Dark World that I really like a heist. Um, Guardians of the Galaxy does heists gone wrong though, and I, I learned at some point I can't remember where I heard this idea, but the idea is that if the team is discussing the heist before the heist happens, everything about the heist is gonna go wrong. Whereas if the team is doing the heist as they're talking about it, like like the film is showing you the heist as it's going, then the heist is gonna go off well, which is what happened in Thor. We, we saw the heist intercut with the discussion of the heist, so you knew the plan was pretty much gonna go correct. In Guardians, the plan never goes correct. The, uh, the rat guy gives them all uh, instructions. God, Scott's going to kill me with the same rat guy. <laughs> uh, yeah, the raccoon guy gives them all instructions on what to do. He's like, you know, you go get me this, you go get me this, you go get me that guy's leg. And then they all go off and do it. And there's just craziness going on all over the place. In the prison breakout scene, what I really like about it is that when when it starts going crazy and people start uh, getting into these battles, you really get a sense of who the characters are by how each of them approach a fight. So Groot just grows real big and is a bullet sponge. He's tanking for the group. He's absorbing all the damage. Rocket is pretty useless in a fight, but he's good at using tech. So he gets his hands on a gun and you better watch out. Somebody throws Rocket the gun and he starts just 
shooting and blasting away at everybody in there. And it's just the complete craziness of a talking raccoon standing on top of a talking tree that can also fight. And they're just blasting away like that. It's it's just ridiculous. And one of the several like absurd moments of action that we see in this movie. Uh, Star-Lord is off conniving. He's not really a part of the action. He's off conniving. Uh, let's see, Drax is just beating the crud out of a bunch of guards and looking like super gleeful about it. He loves a fight, uh, and it's totally brutal the way that he fights. It's just bashing, he literally bashes his head into a guy. And then there's Gamora, and Gamora might be my favorite in this scene because Gamora is super refined and precise like martial arts combat. It's a lot like the spy fight back in Avengers where Black Widow and Hawkeye fight. But Gamora just takes down, I think, three or four guards in, at, like, in, in one fight at the same time. She handles three or four guys just by flipping around and grabbing onto people and doing backflips and kicks and all kinds of cool stuff. I think that was the first time we see all the Guardians together. It's the first time we see them work as a unit, as a team. Uh, it's a little botched in classic style of the Guardians. You know, we're going to get that going forward. They're not perfect at all. They're pretty uh, crap at what they do, but they get it done and they get it done in style, man. You know, from stealing a prosthetic leg to turn off the zero G to rocket and Groot just back to back in it. It's, it's good fun is what it is. And that's what this movie is fun. I really like seeing the whole team get to fight together. And then it ends with all them standing in like their, their hero action team pose uh, at the doors of the watchtower. My favorite line of dialogue in this movie is um, they are breaking out of the prison and somebody calls Drax a Theosaurus and then Rocket responds with um, something along the lines of um, how Drax's species is is too literal. Um, It would just go over his head. And Drax responds with, nothing goes over my head. My reflexes are too fast. I would catch it. I I thought it was really cute because he's funny and he doesn't understand (laughs) at all. Uh, And then it's the bit where Chris Pratt turns up and he goes, okay, I've got the guy's leg. And he's just like, (laughs) I didn't even need it. (laughs) I just thought I'd see if you'd get it. (laughs) And it's just like during the whole craziness of that thing, it's just like there's still time for them to piss about. (laughs) It was like, it just sets such a nice tone for the whole film. Just loved it. There's a whole thing where Drax, uh, in the comic books anyway, ha- dies and comes back a couple different times. And each time he does, he's a little different or has different powers. The scene after they escape from the kiln, where Rocket Raccoon is like tinkering with some stuff, and then Starlord walks up and says, Yo, Ranger Rick, what are you doing? You can't just take apart my ship without asking me. See, what is this? And then Rocket says, Don't touch that, it's a bomb. A bomb? Yep. And you leave it here lying around? I was going to put it in a box. This is a a small moment, but it's another of my favorite hero moments, or just good positive energy moments. I really love the moment when the team has shown up at nowhere, the the decaying head of an ancient celestial, and they're moving through the crowd towards the bar where they're supposed to wait for the collector's uh, envoy, um, a little girl comes up to Groot, and and as this this crowd of little kids is passing him, 
uh, quills like you know well, keep an eye on your wallets or something like that just not trusting them at all and, and Groot the little girl stops in front of Groot and he leans over and and grows a little flower on his hand and gives it to the little girl and it's just this this nice sweet moment of like hey the galaxy is a crazy place but but sometimes you can do sometimes you can do a nice thing My favourite villainous moment um, is probably the scene between, uh, sorry, <laughs> forgetting all the names, but Batista, the wrestler, who I had really low hopes for going into this film, but he was amazing uh, and the main bad guy. And it's the one where they, they're on the skull planet <laughs> asteroid thing <laughs> and they're having the fight and like Batista, Batista just cannot make a mark on this guy. And he really puts him down. He's just like, I don't even remember killing your family. Then it completely demoralizes him and he throws him into the pot. And you really like, considering his character is like, you know, just a dumb, moronic muscle head. You really, at that point, feel for him in the film. And I think that's just because of how the bad guy is like responding to him. And like that interaction they have really, really got me in the feels that bit. Guardians does a lot uh, in terms of setting up Thanos and the Infinity Stones. So I think audiences at the time, if they weren't like fans of the comics, this is all new. Uh, this is all weird space garbage, you know, like all this jargon that's going on uh, is really confusing. But where else to put it than in Guardians? Uh, and so we get this great explanation of the Infinity Stones going forward as the MCU defines them. Comic book fans know it's Infinity Gems. Uh, close. It's a it's a subtle but important distinction, guys. And uh, it's really it's a really great plot device thread that they had to set up in this movie going forward to set up the stakes, set up like these are gigantic MacGuffins and they're going to be important and you're going to have to keep them safe or else you're effed and boy are they. The scene where the team is talking about their plan for the end of the movie is also really good, or, or rather the fact that they only have 12% of the plan. Um, there's, there's, this scene is just perfect. It is a perfect scene. I could quote you the entire thing. Instead, I'm just gonna give you two, two wonderful moments. One is where uh, Drax asks when they determine something and Peter's like, like three minutes ago. And he goes, I wasn't listening. I was thinking of something else. I love it. It's the best. It's just, it's such a wonderfully, perfectly honest answer. Totally appropriate, Drax. It's a little rude that you weren't listening, but good on you for owning up to it. And the other great line in this is, at the end, they're all standing up because they're deciding they're going to go join the fight, even if it's a hopeless cause. And they all look at Rocket. He kind of sighs. He stands up. He goes, all right, you happy I'm standing now too. We're all standing. Bunch of jackasses standing in a circle. when they're invading the Black Aster and Groot takes out a whole bunch of Kree soldiers by just impaling them with one of his roots and then just slapping the others all through the hallway that they're coming in through. It reminds me of this meme from, I don't know where it's from, but I've just seen it on Twitter a bunch of times and it has the text on it saying, I'll beat a motherfucker with another motherfucker. I, I yeah, I, I, I got a lot of laughs out of that. It was, it was awesome. Oh yeah, and then like after he's done all of that, he just sort of turns around and smiles like, I did good, I am Groot. My favorite villain moment is probably the part in the climactic final battle where the Black Aster breaks through the Nova Corps blockade. 
And, you know, when um, Ronan says, Xandar, you stand accused. Your wretched peace treaty will not save you now. Tis the tinder on which you burn. I kind of read that in a melodramatic comic book voice that doesn't really do justice to the line, but, like, Ronan is a really good villain. He is way more intimidating and unsettling in this movie than many of the other villains that we've seen so far in the previous movies. Um, so my favorite hero moment, um, there is a big fight with Ronan towards the end of the movie, um, and a few of the heroes get hurt, and, um, the ship is about to crash into, um, Xandar, and Groot starts spreading his roots, um, out and forms a ball around um, around them to protect them all. And Rocket says to him, No, Groot, you can't. You'll die. Why are you doing this? Why? And he has tears coming out of his eyes. And Groot responds, We are Groot. And it's really sad. And then they crash into the planet and Groot explodes and he dies. Um, it's sad. Hey, Groot. After that happens, um, Ronan and um, Star-Lord are both trying to grab the Infinity Stone out of the air, and um, Star-Lord grabs it with his hand, and then um, it, it, you're not supposed to be able to hold it. It should instantly kill you, and so um, the other the others start to grab onto him, so Rocket and Drax and Gamora all grab onto him, and then they shoot this, like, big exploding thing into Ronan, and Ronan blows up into pieces, um, and it was just, it was really cool, because they, by the end of the movie, they've become family, and I thought it was, it was really sweet. They helped him out, but also they stopped him from dying, from holding the Infinity Stone, so... And in terms of hero moments, I just I think we all really enjoyed the journey that these guys took to just being a bunch of outcasts, a bunch of assholes, to hating each other, to really coming together as a family, to some kind of a cohesive unit that works together because they are all assholes, but they're going to try together. That journey is fantastic. And bravo to you, James Gunn. Bravo to Guardians of the Galaxy. What a fantastic movie. The amount of power <laughs> that the guardians have at the very end um so they have all that power and it's all put together and then there's this big blue-headed guy <laughs> and you don't really know who he is and uh yeah obviously he he is going to be you know a future uh, mammoth bad guy for the series but um, at the time it was just like we didn't know much about him he's just very scary and he's trying to collect these very scary stones that are very very powerful Uh, the third hero moment is towards the end where we see Groot as a little twig that's just starting to grow back, and he's dancing to Want You Back by Jackson 5. And I, I kind of like that song. It's not my favorite Michael Jackson tune, but it's just hearing that and seeing him dance to it and kind of stopping for a second and freezing when Drax looks over his shoulder. Oh, that, that was great. 
This movie makes a big deal about uh, Peter Quill's heritage. Um, there's references to who his dad was throughout the movie. Uh, his mom at the beginning tells him that uh, his dad was a, an angel of burning light or something along those lines. Uh, the Ravagers talk about how they should have sold him for cargo because he was cargo. Uh, at the end, they reveal that it turns out they were hired by his dad to pick him up. Um, and then the, uh, the, the Nova Corps tells him that he, his dad was something ancient that they've never seen before. Who is Star-Lord's father? Is it the Infinity Stones? Officer Barbrady? Chef? Mr. Garrison? The 1991 Denver Broncos? It's not totally clear to me, because it seems like they were trying to drop some sort of hint about who Star-Lord's father is, but I, I, I didn't pick it up. This does get paid off in Guardians of the Galaxy 2. It's an interesting payoff. The way they go with it is buck wild, um, but I really like that that's just sprinkled throughout this movie. It definitely lets you know that there's going to be more adventures with the Guardians of the Galaxy. But more than that, you get that ending scene where um, the Milano's all fixed up, they're, they've got their ship back, and the team is is setting off on new adventures, and, and Peter says that he's going to look after them. I like found family stories, and I like the promise this movie gives that we're going to get more more stories, more adventures with this found family. But the, the comedy is straight on. And again, this is, you gave it to James Gunn. You gave it to somebody who is going to have fun with it, who's going to go a little nuts, who is going to make a lot of jokes. And I think that's what makes this film as strong as it does. Uh, so I really like Guardians of the Galaxy. It might be up there with my favorites. I don't know. I, have, I haven't actually sat down and made a top five list in, in quite a while. The music was amazing. The acting was amazing. I mean, it has Batista in it. The guy's a wrestler, and his acting performance in it is amazing. <laughs> um, you know, he does play a basic wrestler-type character, but, you know, he was still. And, um, yeah, just everything about it is just very well done. Um, and I would definitely suggest to anyone to go watch this film, whether you're a Marvel fan or not, uh, especially as it's kind of like the beginning of its own thing. So, yeah, just love it. Absolutely love it. This is probably my third favorite non-serious movie of all time. Uh, number one is Wayne's World. Number two is Smokey and the Bandit. And I think Guardians of the Galaxy does come in at three after a very fierce competition with Smokey and the Bandit. If... As of right now of this recording, Guardians is kind of in, uh, in a little bit of a, a dead zone. Nowhere, as it were. Uh, but at the time, you could not have been hotter than Guardians when it came out. As a skeptic, a comic book skeptic, I did not think Marvel could pull it off. I didn't think that Marvel could pull off a talking tree and a talking raccoon hanging out with aliens and a human man. Boy, was I wrong, because they absolutely killed it. From the soundtrack to the style to the story to the humor, it was an absolute smash, and I still think it's a smash to this day, and definitely one of the top MCU films thus far. Podcasters Assemble Probably is a production of the We Can Make This Work Probably podcast network. This episode edited and produced by me, Troidal Power. Find more of our shows at probablywork.com and learn how to join the initiative and contribute to future episodes of Podcasters Assemble probably by looking us up on Twitter as at Casters Assemble. Submissions are always open.
Thank you to everyone who was able to contribute to this episode. Be sure to check the show notes for links to all the places you can find them online. Special thanks to executive producer Tyler Thornton for keeping this show on track. And one last note, the scene at the end where Yondu opens up what he thinks is the orb and inside is a troll doll, I gotta admit, I was half hoping, even though I know it wouldn't really be that, that inside would be a little dick butt. Podcasters Assemble probably will return in Avengers Age of Ultron. can't stop this feeling deep inside of me girl you just don't realize what you do to me when you hold me in your arms so tight you let me know everything's alright I'm hooked on a feeling I am believing you're in love with me. It's all I as candy. It tastes all on my mind. Girl, you got me thirsty for another cup of wine. Got a pop from you, girl. I don't need no cure. I just stay affected if I can for sure. All the good love when we're all alone. Keep it up, girl. Yeah, you turn me on. Ah, hooked on a feeling. I'm believing that you're in love with me. Me ah, hooked on a feeling. I'm believing that you're in love with me. I'm hooked on a feeling. Oh, I'm believing you're in love with me. Said I'm doing it again. I feel it again. I'm believing you're in love with me.